Hey, 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 welcome back, everybody, to the Rifles Only Accuracy Podcast. Uh, everything rimfire and centerfire, as well as so much other stuff. Make sure you check out the website, riflesonly.com, upcoming classes, any of the merch that you need in there, help you shoot better, whatever you need to do. Uh, again, keeping with quality and quantity of the podcast going up, I've got a really, really special guest with me today, um, Chase Stroud. Chase Stroud, say hello, sir. Hey, everybody. How you doing, Jacob? Thanks for having me on, sir. Man, thanks for taking the time to do it. I, I wanted to get you on here. We, we've, been, uh, we've been passing back and forth a certain client lately, and so it started thinking, man, I, said, I should probably get, get, uh, get Chase on the, on the podcast. You know, the, I think we, we, uh, I had a, a little bit to do with you getting started in this, so I figured, why not? Man? I would just say that, that is true. That All is right. very true. Very good. Well, tell me, man, who are you? How old are you? Where are you from? What do you do? Uh, tell me about your high school, sports, whatever. Tell me about your life. Yes, sir. So my name is Chase Stroud. Um, in the shooting world, everybody calls me Pump. Uh, there was a gentleman named Dustin Morris who gave me that nickname a very, very long time ago. At Rifles Only, believe it or not, is where that name started. The first time I heard it, uh, he called me Big Papa Pump. I used to bodybuild and, you know, built a little different than most guys. And then uh, that name just kind of stuck with me. And everybody called me that from that point forward. But uh, I grew up in Weatherford, Texas. Um, I am turning 39 in uh, just a month. And I have a long-range and extreme long-range precision rifle company. Uh, I train people out of Central Texas just outside of College Station. And we have a four-mile range. We've got a 360-degree, 2,500-yard wind course. And we also do a whole lot of rimfire development. We'll just say that. So we are way down the rabbit hole on rimfire and what that's that whole world and what's capable. And we're shooting stuff well over a thousand yards with 22 subsonic rimfire. So, oh my God. <laughs> yeah. Let's, I'm let's, telling back, you, man, let's back up a little bit. Let's back up a little bit. Sure. Uh, what got yeah. you interested in shooting to begin with? So I, I grew up with a dad that you know bless his heart he just passed away in february um he got yep yep that was a tough loss um he got me into hunting at a very very early age i have quite a few comical pictures of me you know he was out dove hunting or deer hunting and i'm in diapers and you know old camouflage t-shirt and a little bb gun that's too big for me to even hold so um i killed my first deer when i was five years old and uh really got into the hunting thing and i remember when i was 12 like it was yesterday i had an absolute monster whitetail probably 400 yards away and i didn't have a clue what to do Mm -hmm. so i just let him walk out of my life and that was i didn't realize how big of a paradigm shift that moment had on my life Mm -hmm. and i made it my mission to learn how to shoot long distance and i started uh it was kind of like right when the internet was kind of starting to be a thing and doing research and, and then history channel had the documentaries on snipers and whatnot. And I was like, man, if those guys know how to do all this math to figure this out, I could learn how to do this. Mm-hmm. And, um, when I was in middle school, I found a guy named David tub and he had a series of VHS tapes 
Um, for all you millennials out there, a VHS is a device that no, I'm kidding. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, but uh, I bought David Tubbs tapes and I watched those things so much that they no longer played. Yeah. I, I'm not even joking. That's how often I watch those things. And there's no direct, this is how you do this, this, and this, but there are enough breadcrumbs. If you watch them enough that I figured out how to, you know, kind of put the puzzle together. And I started shooting long range when I was in high school. And, you know, back then that was, you know, we were kind of kicking around a mile without really knowing what we were doing, you know, just throwing shots out there like, wow, I can't believe we're actually shooting a mile, you know, that, that type of deal, nothing right. with to, to now, like if we miss a cold board, am I like, wait a second, what happened? What went wrong? You know, that's <laughs> at the level we're at now. But, um, you know, that, that deer walking out of my life, man, just made a pivotal moment. Um, and, and that's what really got me going down this rabbit hole. And uh, I was always a baseball player growing up, played at a high level. I got drafted out of high school. I was first team all state in 5A. I hit cleanup in the Texas high school all-star game for 5A North. And I just kind of had enough of baseball. And uh, fortunately, you know, not too many people say, fortunately, I got injured and didn't go into pro ball, but that's exactly what happened. And um, I really buckled down on the shooting stuff then. Okay. And all through college, um, you know, I went in for kinesiology and um, became a personal trainer. But my every spare second and penny went into reloading and doing stuff with my custom rifles. I mean, I did not have a social life at all, and I couldn't have been happier. Um, after college, I went and lived with my uh, grandparents just outside of Brown, Texas, and helped them take care of their high fence place. And uh, we had a bed and breakfast out there and I became a cook or I should say a chef technically and um, got real deep into the weeds and cooking. And I guess I still dabble in that pretty heavily, <laughs> as yep. you know. Yep. But, um, you know, as another thing, my dad doing embryo transfer growing up, we always had, you know, the best genetics available. And we were the one of the first families to have Wagyu in the uh, in the country. And we've been doing that really seriously since the nineties. Wow. wow. So we had gotten into the Angus on the very front end of when everyone else was still kind of running beef masters. We were almost ending our Angus herd and switching to Wagyu when everyone else was starting to switch to Angus. Yeah. So, um, we've definitely got that stuff dialed in. My brother, uh, Todd, he, he has his, uh, beef company, red marble beef. They sell, butcher straight to the uh purchaser they don't have any middlemen they have their own thirty-five thousand square foot uh butchering facility because different companies um that would butcher our cows for us were stealing our beef yeah. seeing how high quality it was and yeah. giving us back clearly not our beef. we took dna on all of our animals so we knew it wasn't ours when we got it back right you know and so he just ended up putting in his own place and uh no longer an issue so People can buy directly from him. And what's the name of his place again? Red Marble Beef Company. And they are located just west of Weatherford uh, at Highway 281 and I 20 out there near Mingus. Okay. So I'm writing this down because, as you know, whenever I have uh, one and two classes out here, I always cook for everybody. And so, uh, yes, sir. I'll definitely be. uh, You're going to text me his number. That way I don't have to find it myself. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. 
for sure. It's an easy. For sure. Well, the, uh, you know, I, I don't know. I just a, a quick thing. If if you guys out there listening don't know what Wagyu beef is, uh, just look it up. Uh, look it up. W-A-G-Y-U. Look it up, and you'll find out what uh, – you hadn't had a steak until you've had a steak. That's Wagyu beef. It, it, that's really that's really right, Jacob. Yep. Like you couldn't have said it better. You've never eaten like you've eaten meat. You just never. You owe it to yourself to try it one time. Yep. yep. I know it's expensive, but now here's another thing: when you go to a restaurant, a high end restaurant, and buy Wagyu, you might like, oh my gosh, that's a hundred and twenty five dollars steak. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. but you have to understand the processes that it took to get it there. Now, if you buy direct from my brother or a company like my brothers, you buy directly from the source. There's no, you know, four middlemen that handle it before you get your hands on it. Right. And it doesn't have any of the crap. I'm not going to curse on your podcast here, that there's no crap that they put chemical wise to make it look better. And, you know, beef you buy at the store, guess what folks, it ain't red like that. Yep. After it gets exposed to oxygen, 20 minutes, it starts to turn brown, gray, whatever. Like, They put dyes, they put chemicals on the beef at your stores, and, you know, it's just not beef what you're getting. You're getting a whole lot of extras that you don't even realize it, and they don't put that on the labels, and, you know, if you eat a whole lot of that stuff, you can can really mess up your gut biome and um, cause to uh, ulcers and whatnot, and, you know, you're slowly poisoning yourself, and then you end up buying beef from my brother. Getting Wagyu, you know, you can buy half bloods, three quarter bloods, seven eighths, and full bloods, you know, kind of whatever your pocketbook allows, but it ends up coming out to about $7 a pound um, if you buy, say, a quarter or a half of a beef right. at a time. And, yeah. and a half a beef, just so people can have a reference, you take your standard refrigerator and you get an upright freezer of the same size or chest freezer, you know, whichever. It's just easier to organize on an upright freezer. You don't have to dig out of, you know, out from underneath other stuff, but. Um, a half a beef like that would run you about $3,500 and you're going to get about 200 and 200 to 250 pounds of edible meat right. out of half of a beef. Yeah. So, uh, when you do the math on all that stuff, man, it is infinitely cheaper just to buy in bulk like that and get it directly from the source. And it is so much better, like so much better. It's, you can't even quantify it with words until you just eat it. You're like, oh yeah, I can instantly taste the difference. Uh, definitely. You know, there's been there's been some stuff going on. You know, I've been I've been knowing about Wagyu beef since I was in high school, and that was back before there was you know color in the world. You know, everything was black and white. So um, <laughs> yeah, you know. Yeah. So the thing you about it was dinosaurs is, to get off the gun range. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. I was running them off like that, but you know, we're talking about uh, you know. It, it, mm-hmm. But anyway, I knew that I knew that this stuff was available in Japan, but it was only available in Japan because there was no export right. at all. There was none of that, and I thought, you know, one day when I retire and I can afford it. I'm going to hop on a 7-4, and I'm going to go to Japan just to have Wagyu. Well, in the interim period, uh, it, it, they started to export it again. And so now mm-hmm. that's, how, that's how your brother was able to get these because the laws changed. You know, for the longest time, you couldn't Correct. get it. And then now yep. it's like the, it, it's like the um, you know, you don't, you don't see Wagyu marketed really, really a whole lot. And that's because it's, there's not a lot of it. I mean, really, when you think about how much Angus there is and then how much Wagyu there is, I mean, there's, there's, there's it, not a lot of Wagyu. A, absolutely a fraction. And, and don't be fooled. You, you know, you go to HEB and whatnot now here in Texas and you see a lot of Wagyu on the shelf. Mm-hmm. 
this is what really irks me, and they're trying to change this. Um, there's actually a, a Wagyu association that is, and my brother is part of this board, that they're really fighting. Beef at the store labeled Wagyu can only be 30% Wagyu, and they can still call it a Wagyu. It is 70% who knows what, right? and only 30% Wagyu. They can still call it Wagyu, which right. is absolute horse manure, right. if you ask me. In my opinion, it should at least be a half-blood to be considered, you know, it's at least, and it should be, in my opinion, it should be labeled what percentage it is. Yeah, I agree. I, but, well, they want to label everything you know, else they, except, they, except the freaking vaccine. Right. They won't tell you what's wrong with that. No shit, right? <laughs> yeah. Sorry, didn't mean to curse there. No, that's all right. I but do yeah, it, I do it every now and then, so don't okay. worry about it. Yeah. All right. Well, man, but, I, you um, know that. Yeah, that's, you're absolutely right. Yeah, it's just, uh, and like I say, if you if you haven't had a chance to to get some of that, I would. I mean, we'll we'll just well, Red Marble Beef Company. I mean, find them on the internet. Call them that's up. You, everybody, like you say, you deserve you deserve to do this for yourself at least one time. And the the higher the higher and, the better. So it kind of works out good. Yeah. And you know what's funny is even the hamburger is just infinitely better. You're yeah. like. Dude, you get a good seared caramelized medium rare hamburger yep. off of cooked over wood. Yep. You know, it is just that, that. I mean, that's just time out, pause, enjoy the moment. And you no know, whenever you're preparing, <laughs> whenever you're preparing that patty, if you use mm -hmm. if you use eggs from chickens that are in your backyard. Yes. Oh, even more, <laughs> even more. Oh yeah. Key phrase though: they need to be farm fresh eggs, not the weird light colored yolk oh, yeah. eggs you get no. at the store no 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 it, Lee, it's, me and lisa we went chicken crazy man we got we got chicken condos out here now man we've got plenty of eggs <laughs> love it yeah. absolutely love it it's really good and they free range and we you know it's con we're constantly building new pins and runs for them and everything else so it works out really good so <laughs> i turn into a chicken farmer but it's nice That's, i don't mind it man that, oh dude but chickens are so much fun to have oh they i know. really are i know i know and it's it's kind yeah. of we're having well you know the, the, here you and i are talking about beef and all this other stuff and uh <laughs> this is a shooting podcast chase so. right <laughs> but anyway yeah i'll definitely get that number because i'll order some in and you know the thing about it was is it was so strange because i was going to order some uh and i know i just i know i just said i was, wasn't going to do this but i'm going to do it anyway but i was going to order some and i found out you know that i was going to you know try some of the a5 from japan and uh i never mm -hmm. could find I, they were always saying oh this is a thick cut and it was like three quarters of an inch. And I thought, you know, I'm a Texas boy. A thick cut steak, you know, is not three quarters of an inch for me. You know what I mean? It's much, much thicker. <laughs> but they wouldn't they wouldn't sell it that way. You know what I mean? And so right. oh, I, I know I, why. <laughs> oh yeah. Okay. Well I I learned. All right. And I I didn't know. Yep. I didn't know. <laughs> I knew it. And then uh I ordered it. So what I ordered in is I ordered in the whole ribeye, you know. And then while I'm waiting for it, yep. you know, I'm over here doing, you know, this I'm searching it out and talking to people about it. And they say, Yeah, this is a you know, you try to go and you do like your normal inch and three quarter and you're going to die. And I thought, yeah, uh, you, you and, might have a, a heart attack yeah. while you're eating it. Man, yeah. Those things are so rich. Oh, like, man. And that's one of those deals is uh, when you do a five, which is just for those that, you, you know, there's there's marbling score a five for traditional um, actual Wagyu. Mm -hmm. And and then there's. You know, there's Australian Wagyu, yep. which they go on a totally different scale yep. um, because they're not raised in the Kobe region of Japan. Right. Or they're not Akaushi, which is the red Wagyu. Um, man, you that's an, a true A5 steak or a marbling score seven or of, of Australian right. Wagyu. Mm -hmm. 
that's meant to be shared, honestly. Yeah. Like it is so rich. It is physically difficult to consume an entire steak by yourself you can't. of a, a normal proportion. No, you it's can't. It's just almost impossible. You can't. Well, whenever that thing came and in, you, I, I did it. I cut it at three quarter. All right. I, I, and I just did one cause I had done some research and they say, yeah, this is enough for like three people. And so sure mm -hmm. enough, you know, that sure enough, whenever it was, it was cut and everything else, me and Lisa split that one and we still had enough portion for another. What? And so it was uh -huh. about the time, about the time that everybody was down here for the brawl. And so it's like a, you know, it's a huge gathering starts on the Sunday before, you know, the weekend, cause we do the train up and everything else. And so the guys come in, you know, lots of range officers here and everything else throughout the week, they'll shoot the train up and then RO for the match. And so, uh, you know, we would, we would, we were slice a couple of nights. We sliced those and, you know, we had a ton of people here, you know, there's a ton of people and just slice that yep. thing up as thin as you possibly could and set it out there and just eat it like a finger food. And it was just like that you're right. It's meant to be shared. And that was, that was the way to do it. I mean, you just, you cannot, you cannot eat a full steak by yourself. There's just, there's just no way. I mean, it's no, it's too rich. So just so you people that have come and shot Jacob's matches and y'all got to feast on that A5 Wagyu, y'all need to understand and appreciate how much Jacob cares about y'all because it's a double-edged sword of like, this is so good, I don't want to share it. But at the same time, if you really care about someone, like, hey, I want you to try this. Yep. So y'all, the people that didn't get to eat that, they need to know how much you cared about them for them to even get to sample that because yeah. that could have easily been like, no, nah, we're keeping this for ourselves. <laughs> no, it's, it was, uh, it's only been one year. You know what I mean? This, it was just this, yeah. this, this year, and so in February. So well, that's still, well, I mean, even still, like just yeah. for them to get to eat with that. I mean, that, that means a lot. Man, it was, it was a lot was, about you. It was fantastic. So. It was gone by the end of the week, but you know, I mean, so many people got a chance to say, and then now the guys are saying, okay, well next year we're all going to pitch in and do another one. <laughs> so, yep, absolutely. We are. So that's going to work See, y'all could have, y'all could have a beef planned and killed by my, uh, my brother, save a crap load of money yeah, by absolutely. buying an entire beef. Dude, it's going to happen. Have a whole thing. Yeah, it's going to happen. Absolutely. That, it's going to happen. That's, that's no, no question at all. That's going to happen. So, um, we, we, we got into that and you, you started shooting and you were into, and it sounds like that, it, like hunting got you into it, you know, and you and I have that in common. And so it was kind of, yes. you know, one of those things that, you know, whenever I was hunting, you know, and it, it's typical South Texas whitetail, you know, you're uh, a really far shot is 150 yards, you know, and it was just like, you know, growing yep. up, it was kind of like, okay, well, when I go and I zero my gun, I'm going to go, you know, two inches high at a hundred. That way I can shoot, you know, just flat, you know, and just basically doing the point blank zero hillbilly style. You know what I mean? That's and, it. Yeah. That's and so, um, I, you know, I, I know whenever I started to, you know, explore, you know, shooting those longer ranges, my, my range finder was uh, two sticks with 300 foot of rope between them. And that's how I did my ranges. Um, so now, now it's a little easier with laser range finders and whatnot. But um, that's how I got into it. And it sounds like you and I do have that in common. Uh, but you have kind of you've kind of taken it, uh, beyond that. I mean, I, you know, I, I, the, the furthest animal shot that I have is 1,575 yards and, uh, it was on a pig yep. and it was that thing to where, yep. um, if you asked me if I knew what I was doing, it would be a very definitive, absolutely not. I did not know what I was doing. <laughs> and it was, uh, it was crazy. Cause I said, it's going to be a first round shot shooting 300 wind mag. And, um, it was yep. like the, I said, it's going to be a first round hit or it's not. I mean, if I shoot and I miss, I'm not shooting again, even though they're still there, you know? So it took, it right. took me about right. three months to do it. Cause I baited for them and, you know, and I had zeroed at that range, you know, with the old, old LaRue, you know, uh, automatic target, you know, a long, long time ago. And, mm -hmm. um, sure. so 
then, you know, what I, what I did was, is it was kind of, um, I, it took three months because sometimes the pigs would show up and I wouldn't. And sometimes I would show up and the pigs wouldn't. And sometimes I just flat out missed, you know? And so it was, uh, yep. it was crazy. You know, I really didn't have it. And just to kind of give you an idea, the, um, I didn't, I, all the bases were flat back then. And so what I was doing was I was taking the, uh, 0.014, uh, you know, feeler gauge and putting that underneath yes. the back into the scope. And so that's how I would do it. But I, I thought, well, I'm going to machine this out myself. And I did it. And with that, I, I overdid it. And the closest zero I could get was 400. So I was working off of that. And finally, finally got the hit, you know, and it, it was just, it was, it was incredible feeling to be able to do that. But we talk about this a lot and we've, it's come up on my podcast before, you know, whenever we're shooting animals at long range. And I know that you do this and it's kind of like, um, my opinion, and you can you can have a different one if not, but uh, it, it, and that's that's completely fine. But my opinion is okay. I am going to look at the totality of the circumstances, and that is going to dictate how far I can shoot. You know, for on an animal, you know, to be a you know, to be an ethical shot. And so it's kind of like sure. uh, you know, some days you know I feel like you know yeah I'll I'll go that beyond fifteen hundred. But then some days you know same equipment everything else. Mm, you know, I would just limit it to 700 just because of the conditions and the way they're working, you know, super cold, you know, you get, you know, high winds, you know, Absolutely. and, uh, you know, icy rain, stuff like that. And what are your thoughts on that? I mean, are you kind of on the same page or you got something else going? I, I am, you know, so here, here's my deal. Um, the science that we have behind everything now has taken us to levels. Even when I was shooting matches, in the PRS back in the day when it first started, mm -hmm. I would have never thought in 10 years, we're going to be shooting over four miles. Right. I, it, I mean, back then, you know, two miles wasn't even a thing. Right. And now there's a, a match series called King of Two Mile. Mm -hmm. And we start at 1500 yards and we routinely shoot over 4,000 yards. Mm -hmm. So the rifles that we have now are, you saw, um, our mutual client's rifle the other day. Yep, he said. Mm -hmm. So you kind of have an idea of what they've they've changed slightly. Mm -hmm. um, and I've been blessed enough to you know just for those of you who don't know anything about my background, I started shooting. I shot the very first PRS match, and you know that was <laughs> that was like what two thousand and twelve. That's 12. eleven years ago. Yep. Yep. Twelve. And then they had, we had the finale that year at your place. Mm -hmm. And I ended up second overall mm -hmm. in the series in Wade Studeville. And I remember I was sitting there on the tower and him and Patrick Morris were down below and he had to, he had to shoot a seven out of 10 to beat me for the season. Mm -hmm. And it was windy and it was the longest range stage in the match. And he did it. And, you know, I was the first one to shake his hand. It, it was a pretty bitter pill for me to swallow <laughs> because I came into the, finale with 300 points and he still beat me and that match was double points yep so he beat me on the season by essentially a shot yeah and you know, good for him you know mm -hmm. wade deserves that you know he's he's you know a legend like yourself and good for him and you know i just had to do better he was better than me that day well anyway um you know back then we weren't shooting ridiculous distances yet i mean i kind of was but i wasn't really talking about it because mm -hmm. you know it just wasn't a thing mm -hmm. and uh you know, at the end of the day, you need to know what your gun's going to do, what you're going to do, 
how, what is your ability to read wind? Mm-hmm. What is your, you know, do you, does, do you know that your cold bore shot is X amount of feet per second, faster, or slower than your average. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's the thing we shoot lathe turn solids. The majority, I'd say 90% of the people shoot late turn solids in the extreme long range game. Okay. Just a side um, note on that real quick. Sure. Just give me a number. Every time you pull the trigger, what is the dollar amount? <laughs> Do you want me personal? Because I have like pseudo sponsors that kind of. No, I'm saying what's a, what's if, a dollar if, amount? Not, not what it costs person, somebody. Just, just what that, what that round cost with the turned with a turned pill? Uh, $11. Okay. All right. That's, that's with my discounts. Yeah. Okay. With, so if, a, if you were to buy this ammo off the shelf, yep. if it was commercially available, mm-hmm. it would be about 20 to $22 a trigger pull. Okay. All right. Well, that, that makes I'll sense, but that. you know, it's really, it's really not, it's really not any more than 500 nitro express or 570 nitro express. But you, with precision. But with precision. Well, I mean, they're they're made for something else. You know, right. they're, they're made right. for inside a hundred yards. Yeah. yeah, it's a different game. Yeah, but you think, yeah, I, I need to knock an elephant backwards. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, I'm I'm going to hit this elephant with a freaking freight train. You know, from about fifteen <laughs> yards. And so, yeah, I mean, I, yes. I understand, but Absolutely. it's not. You know, and, and that's the thing too. You know, when, when we talk, you know, talk about hunting and everything else. You know, we we talk about rifles that you know we'll, we'll spend you know five thousand, ten thousand, fifteen thousand, you know, nineteen thousand in some cases man we we we're cheap we're we're definitely in the poverty stage when you start talking about those big double rifles you know what i mean sure oh yeah a, a, a custom built creek off or a nitro yeah. my uncle has several that are way over two hundred thousand dollars oh yeah like, i know he spends millions of dollars a year hunting around the world i know and, and tens of and, thousands you know, just on ammo you know so yeah, what i'm trying to oh say is gosh, it's not yes. you know what what you guys are doing is y'all are y'all are pushing the limits out there i and, and i've said this before too about right. you about you elr guys you know because y'all are y'all are a pretty small group and everything else but what y'all are doing right now is y'all are the r&d center for people like us you know what i mean because pretty much yeah y'all are y'all yes, are pushing because, it y'all are using i do well, yeah, I, I do I, both, and I see trickle down mm-hmm. into the mainstream long range, right? You know, because now they're having mile targets in in PRS matches. Yeah, but the thing about it, you know, not, some of the equipment lot, they'll use, there. some of the equipment that you guys are using, and you know, like, uh, and it starts, it starts with you know the, you know the 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 average patterns that we have now, but like these lathe turn bullets. I mean, these things, these things freaking perform better you know, at those longer ranges, otherwise y'all guys wouldn't be shooting them. Well, wh- who's going to be, who, who's to say that within, you know, the next three years, there's some sort of process that comes along that we can get the cost of that projectile down. And when that happens, yep. everybody's going to be shooting them. You know what I mean? Right. And so, yes. and, 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 and go ahead. And the turn solids are such a different animal. Like mm-hmm. you can't, you have to treat your barrels differently. Mm-hmm. Um, constant maintenance on them because uh for those of you who don't know a traditional you know lead core projectile they will obturate and expand into your rifling and essentially seal their gases off through obturation and expansion and the lathe turn solid doesn't do that mm-hmm. you actually displace copper with your rifling off the back of the projectile and it mm-hmm. deposits copper pretty heavily uh, into your barrel and you you have to use abrasives to clean that stuff out or you get unbelievable pressure spikes if you don't, you know, mitigate that stuff every 150 to 200 rounds. Yeah, but you're so also you, you you're also just, increasing the diameter of your barrel every time you pull the trigger too because that's working both ways. 
so it, believe it or not, and we so and another thing, a little bit about my background. Um, I've shot for David Tubb and applied ballistics both, and I've I've learned an unbelievable amount from shooting with both of those groups. And at AB, we we they they have a Doppler radar that will track a projectile through the air, essentially every inch of its flight, out to a whatever distance, depending on the cross section of the back of the projectile. Mm-hmm. And you will see every tiny little flaw that will occur, and it it shows up on a graph, and they're measuring velocity decay over time, Mm -hmm. which that's where they came up with their custom curve drag model. Mm -hmm. And um, your your PDMs and your CD, your personal drag model is, I'm shooting these bullets out of the barrel condition that I have today over your radar, and they will assign a... um, essentially a, a code in their solver program that's associated with your bullet in your barrel. Mm-hmm. So it is a personal drag model to yours. So it's not a linear G7 or G1. It is a variable um, curved uh, prediction model mm-hmm. that uh, is, is different than running a static G7. Well, the thing about it so, is your, your ballistic coefficient changes as it goes downrange. That's right. So yep. you, you will have dips and spikes in your BC, depending on your RPM of that projectile, mm-hmm. the projectile's design. Right. There's so many tiny little things that go into it. But yep. anyway, um, you know, getting to shoot with them, we've found that different brands of gunpowder will expand your rifling or contract your rifling. Like certain vitivori powders will actually constrict your bore over time okay. at the muzzle. And they pin gauge this stuff. But, you know, certain Hodgkin powders will actually erode and grow your bore diameter, mm-hmm. just like you, what you're saying. So and, and that was one of those deals like no one really thought of pin gauging over a barrel's life to see what was happening over these different brands yeah. of powder. And, oh, voila, look at this. This is something new because they were noticing they were getting pressure builds over time with certain powders and not with others. Right. And why is that? Yeah. You know, what? what's the what's the constant here? Oh, well, lo and behold, it you know, we're scrubbing the barrels the same, then why is it? It's just certain powders were constricting, some were growing the bore. Well, you know, that, and, and that's, that right there, that, that right there is just, is one example of how we wouldn't have known unless you guys right. were out there doing that. We wouldn't have known. I mean, that's, it, that's an example right. of not knowing what you, you don't know what you don't know. perfect saying you don't know what you don't know and it's like you like hey we've never tested this specifically let's isolate all these variables and focus on this and we're like oh gosh that's the opposite of what we thought would have happened right you know and it's just thousands of tiny little things that we just you know and now um i have my own ailer 89 which measures time of flight function and you can get a time of flight BC over 10 seconds of time of flight. Okay. So with my 375 enabler, mm-hmm. I could actually go physically measure a ballistic coefficient at over 4,000 yards. Now, AB's Doppler radar can only track a bullet out to about 1,500 to 2,000, depending on the diameter of mm-hmm. the bullet. And then it's a predictive model after that. Yeah. I've seen that. Uh, but, I've seen that thing. Uh, two years ago, I was out. I went out to Minnesota to uh, Rush Lake Range for the King of Point Two Miles, the twenty-two thing. And, yep, um, yep, yep, yep. And yep. so AB was out there with their Doppler, and that's that's where mm-hmm. I talked to Francis, and, uh, and I think he was competing. I was ROing, and it, I think he won that thing. I don't. I don't remember, <laughs> but you had to ask him anyway. 
and, and I saw what that what that Doppler will do, and that was just it was incredible. You had yeah, a line of people waiting up. Oh yeah, absolutely. I don't think I want to get in front yeah. of it though. Oh yeah, you 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 set the timer off early on your uh, your last breath. I'll say that <laughs> if you walk in front of that thing. Yeah, I, but, I know. Um, that. Well, I saw it. I you also had it set up at whenever we went out there to um, whenever we were out there at uh, at the Precision Rifle Expo because you I yes, remember sir. I saw you out there about three years ago or something like that. Y'all had it out there as well. Yes. So yep. yeah, you were doing the fundamentals. Yep. I was doing the ELR. Yep. And then um, I let AB cut in on with me so they could demo their stuff also. Right. But, um, yeah, it's an incredible machine and, you know, kudos to Brian Litz because, you know, it takes a 25 pound brain to not just, here's this thing that could potentially measure a projectile through flight, but to write the mathematical formula that equates all of that information and correctly puts it into a Kestrel, a phone, a Garmin watch. And now we have the ability to get a first round hit at over two miles. Yeah. Like that is, that is no small task. Like that is, that's a brain that, you know, I wish I had, and I just don't, you know, (laughs) I, I would say I have a high shooter IQ, but I don't think I'm intelligent and capable of doing something like that. Yeah. I hear you. You know, but it, it, you know, it's awesome, but you know, just getting to be around that inspired me to get my own Ailer 89 unit. And now I can measure ballistic coefficient just like that. And that's one of the services my company offers is through load development and whatnot is, uh, you know, actually getting the BC on your barrel at Mach 1.2 and at uh, Mach 0.85. Um, and I, you know, I can go measure and see what your BC is doing at different, you know, distances. Right. You know, you've, you've mentioned the I've word that machine. You've mentioned the word enabler, and I know that yes. not many people are familiar with with what you're talking about there. Can can you tell us about that, like sure. uh, parent case, you know, bullet weight, yeah. charge weights, all that kind of shit? Absolutely. Yeah, let's let's go down that that little rabbit hole because I've got tens of thousands around downrange with that cartridge. Well, the thing so- about it is, is, I know that I could sit here and talk to you for about six freaking hours. And so I, uh-huh. I, I just don't have the time. My, my bladder's not that big. I know. And so I want to, I want to hit the yeah. high points here because yeah, yeah, because what you're doing, what you're doing, we could, we could talk forever. I've had, I've had a few guests on that are like that and it's, it, it's crazy. So go ahead. Yes. Okay. So uh, the enabler is based off of a, a Shytac bolt face, which is a 0.640 um, bolt face. And it came out of a necessity of, 375 Shytac, you know, that company's gone in and out of bankruptcy a couple of times and changed ownerships. Yeah. And um, the most recent owner, who I'm not going to name his name, but he was not letting people put the word Shytac on it. He was sending lawyers after gunsmiths for engraving Shytac on a rifle because it was chambered in Shytac. Okay. And he was, uh, and the military wanted a new 375 round that did not have that word on it. Okay. And it needed to, it needed the ability to take a, uh, a heavy 400 grain class projectile and not seat it past the next shoulder junction and it be used in a mag fed weapon system. Okay. So that really quickly narrowed down and excluded the shy tack from being available for, for use in that. So, um, Obviously, all, a lot of people know about the 338 Lapua, mm-hmm. and its initial shortcomings was only offered in a 3.6-inch detachable magazine mm-hmm. um, system, and they started out with a 250-grain 
projectile and you know companies made 300 grain projectiles that obviously shot better but you had to seat those 300s so far down into the case you lost some uh, case volume and then you get varying neck tension when you breach the neck shoulder junction with the boat tail and it kind of it can potentially skew your sds but and, isn't that uh, isn't there a balance there chase i mean isn't there a balance there and we're talking about specifically 338 lapu because i'm i'm intimately familiar with this and i just found sure. as an end user that yes the 300 grain projectile had a higher ballistic coefficient but the case wasn't able to push it fast enough to really enjoy it and that's why i kind of settled in on like the 200 the 250s and the 270s and it's i, I seem to get better so, results a am i wrong on that or is that, is that just anecdotal it, bullshit it kind of it kind of depends on how far you're really wanting to go mm -hmm. i mean if you because 338s we've i've had a ton of clients go well over two miles with 338 mm -hmm. Lapua, but every one of them was shooting a single shot platform Ah, and ah, okay. they were not seating the projectile. But right. if you were wanting to do the magazine fed style, well, now they've actually modified a lot of companies make uh, like a 3.850 uh, detachable magazine for mm -hmm. Lapua bolt face, the 585 bolt face. Right. And now it's no longer an issue. So in my opinion, I'm going to, you know, I've, and I've loaded a crap ton of 338 Lapua for clients. And I mean, I really like the 300 Burger. I like the 300 Green Sierra Match King. Yeah, but you see, um, you're doing something different than what I'm doing. You know what I mean? What I'm right. doing is I'm yeah. working. I'm working with shit that has to come out of a box. You know what I mean? And it has to it had to work in what they were given. It would, you know, it's just right. you, you get yeah. my point. Yeah, and in that point, yeah, in that point, yes, it, it's it's kind of a you can't push the 300 in a 3.6 inch mag. In my opinion, I think the 270 class bullet is the, you know, the, the way to go yeah. in that instance. And you see, that's, so that's I, just yeah, the thing. I mean, it's just like a different, it, I mean, exact same, exact same cartridge, but two different disciplines, so to speak. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Well, j long story short, Jimmy Sloan comes up with a 338 Norma. Okay. So it is a shorter, fatter, variant off the same bolt face as mm -hmm. Lapua, mm -hmm. a slightly rebated um, rim off of the, the body case. And I was fortunate enough to be around the right people when that cartridge was developed back in 2010. And I had a rifle built before reamers were, uh, or before dies were even available. Mm -hmm. And I had to wait about a year and a half on my well, first build. Yeah. But really whenever so we're talking about the, whenever we're talking about the history of this, that, that that's really old news. I want you to get back to this enabler. <laughs> That's where I'm I'm getting to that though. Okay, all right, sorry. The then I'll I'll shut so up. <laughs> you you take yeah. So Jimmy Sloan took the Lapua, mm -hmm. he shortened it, made it more efficient, and now you could run a 300 grain class bullet in a 3.6 inch magazine, and run it just as fast as the 338 Lapua mm -hmm. with less powder and slightly less recoil, and you got a more uh, evenly burned. Uh, uh, case because it's shorter, fatter. So right. now the shy tack issue, we can't seat anything but a 350 grain bullet in there, which has a horrible BC and we can't shoot them as far as we want to go. So Brian and, um, you know, the think tank at AB, Oh, let's just Norma the shy tack. So they took the shy tack, made it shorter, fatter. Mm -hmm. We use about fifteen to twenty grains less powder, depending on what powder you want to run. And what is that? What is that charge at weight? At the same speed. What is that charge so, weight? So, um, in my personal three seventy five enabler, I'm running hundred and twenty two grains of Retumbo. Okay. 
in a um, in a 34 inch barrel and I'm running a 407 grain burger or a 390 grain um, Badlands Super Bulldozer 2 if I want to hunt. Mm-hmm. I'm running those right at 2,900 feet per second. What the hell are you hunting no with this gun? Whatever I want to. Oh <laughs> so my God. Shot, you know what? I've that... shot pigs and deer at well over. 2500 yards yeah so my longest my longest kill is 2760 yards Mm -hmm. i shot two bucks two coal bucks in a row we were out on a a property that i've got in west texas to go you know teach on and we had been doing an elr class out there and it was during deer season we have mld tags Mm -hmm. the wind was net zero we were shooting spin drift and we were absolutely massacring steel out there to to the point where it was just like we're just truing at this point. Yeah, and we had some deer come out on some corn at a known distance. The landowner is like, "You just hit steel literally right next to where they're standing. Send it. We'll see what happens." Shot, drop him in his tracks. Another one walks out, literally smells him. Shoot, drop him in his tracks. Nice. So two for two, twenty seven sixty. Now I have some friends that have made some two plus mile kills on video. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so they, you know, people have gone further and it is, again, let's go back to the ethics of all this. You know, I only did it because I knew what was going to happen before it happened. Mm-hmm. If, if, if it was any other condition, no, I'm not going to take that shot. Right. You know, I've got a video on YouTube that people can go watch. I shot a doe in the head at a, on video at a thousand yards with the 375 enabler, mm-hmm. you know, um, you better just, use enough uh, gun because when you hit her, you want to kill her. Otherwise, she's going to get pissed off and come well, kill you, Chase. You know that. That's right. That's She'll right. come kill me in my sleep. <laughs> that's right. Um, she will <laughs> haunt me. <laughs> but, uh, you know, but anyway, we shoot, you know, these 400 class green bullets. Um, they all have around a .505 G7 thereabouts. Okay. And we run them around 2,900 feet a second. You know, at our, I'm, I'm at 150 foot altitude here in Brenham. And, uh, our summertime density altitude is usually around 2,500 and below zero in the winter, just yep. like y'all. Yep, just like and, us. And uh, we go tran, yeah, we go transonic around 20, you know, around 22 to 2,400 yards, kind of depending on, you know, what time of the year it is. Right. And uh, those bullets are designed to be balanced when they go through transonic, and we've shot them out over uh, 6,100 yards successfully. So they. Uh, what we're trying to, what we're kind of finding right now is that if you've got enough RPM on the bullet and the bullet is designed to go through that transonic barrier and still be stable, you're optically limited. Like you can literally shoot as far as you have optics for. Okay. Well, and that was my, like, that was my next question. Cause I know that you hang some yep. pretty yep. Uh, interesting things off the front of your scope. Talk about that a little bit, please. Yes. Okay, so yeah, so TACOM HQ makes a device called a Charlie Terak, and then they have one called a Bravo Terak. Uh, Bravo Terak, uh, they've uh, it's it looks like a, you take a small Red Bull can and cut it in half mm-hmm. and throw a lens in there, and that's kind of what it you know it clips on the front of your optic, and it's it's uh it's like a fixed lens that adds, you know, you can have them 10, 20, 30, 40. I think it's up to 40 mils, if I'm not mistaken, on the Bravo Terak mm-hmm. of external elevation. And so when you apply that device in front of your optic, you now have externally added, you know, say 30 mils in front of your scope. Mm-hmm. And then you can dial up and use your regular scope like normal and add extra elevation. But it's it's 
more complicated than just doing that. Um, you know, again, that's kind of the stuff that we teach the nitty gritty on in the, in the courses, Mm -hmm. you have to set a different profile and you don't just compound your mills. You actually have to shoot a tall target test at a hundred yards, find out exactly how high that thing's hitting on your rail, Mm -hmm. not mine or the person's next to you because every rail's ever so different. Right. And, Oh, you know, we need to say that, okay, yeah, we have a hundred yard zero, but we have a mechanical offset of 118 inches, uh, up and we're, you know, 2.2 inches left. How much does that thing cost? Uh, the Bravo Terak is like, under a thousand dollars now. The Charlie Terax—they've got a couple different models of those, and I just got their latest and greatest. It has eight preset settings on it. The first setting has zero mils, and then I've got thirty mils per click on that thing. Okay. So I've got two hundred and ten mils in front of my day optic, and I can still dial that thing thirty and hold thirty in the reticle. So you know, comically, <laughs> I have two hundred and seventy mils available off of a hundred yard zero. Holy shit! And, um, that thing costs twenty five hundred dollars. Yeah, and it's worth every penny because of what I do. Uh, is it robust? Oh my gosh, yes. Yeah, and in the materials that this thing is made out of, you know, these unbelievable um, uh, metal compounds that the gears will never, uh, they will never. Um, you don't have to worry about tolerances being lost because mm-hmm. of the the carbide materials that they're made out of. Just okay. unbelievable. Like I'm talking like they hold arc seconds of precision. Okay. <laughs> so okay. unbelievable amount of testing and uh, engineering that went into this. Okay. And, and what scope are you um, running? Um, I shoot for Leopold just in full transparency. I run Leopold Mark fives and I shot those scopes before they picked me up. So mm-hmm. no one can say anything about that. Yep. So I absolutely love Mark fives are one of the better scopes for the money out there. And I got six um, of them. Yeah. I mean, I think they're great. They have a great zero stop, good reticle choices and yep. good solid clicks and they have great glass. So, I had Redbeard do a, do a Cerakote job on one. I'll send you a picture after we hang up. It's yeah, do that. I, I, you'll, you'll love the color scheme of my new, my new play toy. So it's kind of cool. Yeah. <laughs> well, cool. Well, let me ask you this. Um, what action do you have in that? What action are you running for the enabler? Um, for that one, I have a Kdex CDX 40 shadow. Um, it is a repeater. Um, that rifle can hold seven rounds and it's actually a switch barrel setup. I've got a 338 enabler mm-hmm. and a 375 enabler. They're all um, we barrel. run the 375. Yeah. <laughs> and I've got a structured, I've got a tack on HQ structured barrel which those things made by the same company that makes that device that goes in front of the optic to add the external elevation. Um, those barrels are, man, you need, I need to get one of those in your hands. And those are the, those I, we, are incredible. yeah, we talked about structured barrels, uh, I think in season one of the podcast and it, what it's just got, it, it has the, you got your main borehole and then it has holes around it. Correct. Correct. And it yeah. creates an I-beam structure that increases stiffness mm-hmm. and, um, there's multitude of functions that this barrel does, but they're mostly harmonically dead. Um, they are way more efficient because they're so much more rigid. You don't have energy loss through vibration. Mm-hmm. And with a, I'll put it this way. I've got regular 338 uh, enabler barrel. Um, I'm running 136 grains of H50 BMG to get like 3190 with a 300 grain burger. Mm-hmm. And then my structured barrel, I'm running a hundred and twenty nine grains to run thirty three hundred feet per second. Ah, okay. So, okay. So you're not you're not and dr- it's an inch shorter. So it's freaking Viagra so, for your barrel. 
Oh my gosh, dude. And I, I, I shot, uh, four groups back to back, which, um, uh, our buddy watched me do this. Mm-hmm. I shot a, uh, a, a two and a half inch group at 1300 yards mm-hmm. and then proceeded to run three groups in a row that were all under four inches at a thousand and pretty brutal mirage. Okay. So those they're, they're, they're the real deal, man. They, yep. they really are that I, uh, I really do like them. I'm going to keep running them and, um, you know, a lot of people think they're snake oil, which, you know, they can think whatever they want. But, you know, a lot of people that have opinions on this stuff have never put their hands on it. Right. Also. Right. So. OK, we got to move on, dude. Uh, got it. Yeah. So Rimfire. Um, oh, buddy. You and I both are, are huge, huge fans of Rimfire. But Gosh, I, got, yes. I got some questions for you. Um, Send it. I saw where they were doing. I don't know if it was an April fool's joke or what, but they're doing a bullet that actually looks like a boat tail for 22. Is that right? Late turn solids. Yeah. 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 That's a real deal. Okay. That's real. So how yeah. many, how many, there's, there's quite a few. Okay. I didn't, like I said, so, I, I got really, I saw that and I got really, really busy and I hadn't had a chance to look into it too much, but I figured if 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 I could, you could educate the people on the podcast that are listening to this, as well as educate me, because that's that's something rimfire to a thousand. Come on, man. So, uh, in full transparency, I have not, and I shoot a lot of lathe turn solids, folks. Mm-hmm. Um, I have not shot any lathe turn solids on rimfire, mm-hmm. and here's why I have not done that. But they do exist, in my opinion. Oh gosh, yes. I okay. know tons of people that do it. Okay. But um you don't you don't see a whole lot of them on podiums either. Mm-hmm. Um the problem and, and I could be wrong on this, and I'm I'm at fault all the time, and I'm the first to admit that. I don't I don't know if like you can get your hands on like really high quality uh like primed brass mm-hmm. to where it's like consistent. Right. I know the Gila will sell some, but it man, it's not that consistent. I've seen yep. numbers. I've seen my friends that have gone down there buying these six twist barrels mm-hmm. and they're, they're pushing these like 55 grain laser and solids at like, you know, 1250 feet a second, which that's great, but you're still going to go transonic at like 148 yards to get yep. dude. So mm-hmm. it, what was it really worth it? Right. You know, and the, based on the SDs that I'm seeing, it doesn't really seem like it's worth it. Yeah. To me, well, you, you know, know, the so thing about it is, still, we've been, and then barrel maintenance again is yeah. going to be a nightmare, and I just don't know if it's worth it. In my yeah. opinion. Well, you know, the thing about it is, I've been we we formalized the the Rimfire Academy, you know, so we have you know here at Rifles Only, you can you know you can shoot you know as as far as you want, you know, off our tower with that. But I was doing sure. a couple of years ago, I was doing um, some Rimfire Academies up in Northern Colorado, and so mm-hmm. um, uh, a young lady, great shooter, Jessica, she. I mean, she's, she's just phenomenal shot and a phenomenal person too. But at any rate, we were out there and we had, you know, just, you know, plethora of different kinds of people in the class. Some of them were shooting the, you know, supersonic, you know, the 22 and the other ones were shooting, you know, the subsonic 22. And she was out there spanking this target at like 570 yards with her 22 and it started Mm -hmm. out subsonic. And I mean, but she, I mean, she's freaking gifted. I mean, she has trigger press that is, I mean, absolutely the, that's heavenly, but at any rate, um, the guys that were going the supersonic route, they 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 were having a hard time getting you know even to three fifty and four hundred, and it was just because they were going transonic, you know what, eighty yards out, hundred yards out, and then t- starting to tumble. Yep, it, okay. and that's another thing is like if if you run the math and see where a bullet goes transonic, like supersonic to twelve hundred foot per second, 
like a traditional supersonic lead core or just a lead projectile with the mm-hmm. wax coating, man, those things go subsonic at like 40 yards. Mm-hmm. And it still, it, it adds a, a degree of difficulty that I don't really know if the juice is worth the squeeze. Cause I've been running Lapua Midas plus or the, the new Lapua super long range. Mm-hmm. We, like I said, we've shot that stuff at sea level at 1200 yards in a negative DA and it was unbelievably consistent, like shockingly consistent over a thousand yards. Oh my God. And All right. <laughs> I know, I know it's stupid, but, but again, you know, you don't know until you don't, until you try it. And yeah, it's just exactly. one of those deals that like, well, you know, you know where I'm going to be first thing in the morning. <laughs> I know exactly. You're going to be on the tower and I need to come down with my, uh, my Mark eight Charlie Tarak. Like I just took a, an 18 inch five, five, six, that I was shooting custom, you know, hand loads that I had made at 2,650 feet a second. We mm. were smashing 2,500 yards the other day wow. with a gas gun. Nice. Nice. You know, so again, you're optically limited if everything is designed correctly. Yeah, and yeah. on, and I'm not, I'm not even running a fast twist, um, uh, to uh, 22 barrel. It's just a standard 16, uh, 16 twist Krieger. Yeah. And man, that thing shoots great. And, uh, you know, it's a left-handed, you know, I'm wrong-handed, Mm-hmm. Uh, but, uh, it, it's a left-handed, uh, voodoo and things shoots good, man. Yeah. And we've, we've stretched it out pretty far quite a few times and it's shot an incredible amount of, uh, sub one inch groups at 200 yards. Nice. Nice. So, cool, man. Well, I, I hate to do yep. this, but this is, this is where I start bumping up against my time that I'm getting into that 55 minute yep. time. So it's all good, time brother. Go. But listen, I want to thank you again. And I want to let everybody know pumps, precision, rifle training.com. Now, if you go there, you, you'll see that there are a lot more than just training. They'll there's load development, uh, working specifically with individuals and things like that. You've got some stuff up there to go hog hunting and everything else. And I'm going to take you up on that. I'm, I'm going to do that one of these yes, days, sir. but I do. Yeah. Notice so that the, we, Go ahead. Yeah, we've got a 130,000 acre property that's corn farm along a river mm-hmm. in Hearn, Texas that we uh, train on. And man, a lot of times we'll be out there doing a wind course and pigs will come out in the middle of the day. And it's like, all right, boys, yeah. let's get ready. So awesome. we, they are kill on site. So. <laughs> all right. Yeah. Well, I, I've been, they've taken over rifles only. It's getting really bad down here where we are. They're just everywhere. But I do know that on no, that, I'm, on that first picture that comes up, it has you uh, free handing a gun using the pump pillow and I see yes, a ni- I see a 90 degree on that trigger finger. I did that. <laughs> Jacob Bynum did that. So, uh, and, and that, that first, um, precision rifle expo, I came over there and I interrupted your spiel on purpose because mm-hmm. I wanted those people to understand. And then this goes to everyone listening. You know, I was, probably an above talented shooter. And I went down and spent, um, you know, I was going through some personal problems and I went down and Jacob took me in like a son and he worked with me for a day and, uh, you were mostly silent that day, which was kind of made me a little nervous. Mm -hmm. And then at the end, you're like, you know, sometimes you don't follow through and uh, let's do this with your trigger finger. And you told me, and it happened exactly like you said it would. We changed my trigger finger to the 90 degree. Mm-hmm. You said you're going to fall on your face for a few months. And then once you get, you know, a hundred thousand trigger pulls of dry fire and live fire, you're going to skyrocket. Mm-hmm. And that's exactly what happened. It mm-hmm. changed my career as a shooter. And now I get to do this full time. Like you, you know, you're one of my idols and I have nothing but good 
things to say. When y'all come and shoot with Jacob, he's going to build your platform that you can take your shooting career as far as you want to go at that point. I mean, it's up to you how far you want to go, but if you learn the fundamentals correctly, which is what Jacob put me on the correct path of, is you do things right to start and you eliminate yourself as the variable, you can go as far as you want to go in this shooting world. I mean, no pun intended in distance, but like you can be as good as you want to be. Well, man, I and really, it all starts I, with the fundamentals. I appreciate the kind words, but you know, I, I think it's just the, I don't know. I mean, you're, you're right. You've, you've, you have gone really far and I'm, I'm really proud to see what you've done, you know, from the time that you were down here, you know, shooting with us at either, you know, training or competitions and everything else. And, you know, I, I, uh, I really enjoy visiting with you and, you know, I, I really enjoy the fact that you're able to do what you're able to do now. And I'm glad that I had a, a small minor part in that. And I thank you for it, man. Well, no, I thank you, sir, because, uh, like I said, if if you hadn't have taken me in that weekend, um, we might not be having this conversation, man. I, I might just be working a day job and, you know, trying to make a match here and there when I can. And now I get to shoot literally every day for a living, doing research and development uh, more than anything. And, um, you know, third party testing for some pretty important folks and, you know, I, I try to make the occasional ELR match here and there. Well, good. So, um, well, good. I know you got one coming up next month, uh, so good luck to you on that. And uh, if if you want to hang around, we we will arrive a couple days, I think, after y'all are done. So just if you want to hang around, man, come see us up there in Colorado. Yes, sir. Looking All right. forward to it. Let me outro this thing. Stay on the line with me. Everybody, thank you for listening. Thank you for listening. I appreciate you spending the time. We'll see ya. Keep shooting.